Ministries and Intimate Local Christian Church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. What does Barah Ministry stand for? We are Christians. We worship the one and only God, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because He is God. Titus, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, knew it too. Here's what he had to say in Titus chapter 2. Verses 13 and 14, he said, Believers in Christ are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, the Christ, Jesus, who gave himself on the cross as a substitute for us, to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, a people who are zealous for good deeds. At Barah Ministries, you'll learn the Word of God verse by verse from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. Why do we study the Word of God? Because it brings us happiness. According to Psalm 119, verse 103, which says, How sweet are your words to my taste, O Lord. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The Word of God offers direction. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. By studying the Word of God, Christians get to know the Lord and His thoughts. The Bible is the absolute truth, and it requires effort on your part to learn it. The Word of God is better than money. Psalm 119, verse 72 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Well, God has an enemy, Satan, whom the Lord made the ruler of this world. Satan enjoys making believers in Christ suffer. And one of his favorite patsies is to make us suffer through family members. He attacks the mentality of those closest to us and gets them to turn against us. And there is nothing more painful than a betrayal from a family member. God wants his believers to handle this kind of suffering as Joseph did, with his brothers. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 says this, As for you, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God allowed what you did to me for my good. No matter what Satan does to us, God works it out for our good. Today's Bible lesson, beware of the ism life. Beware of the ism life. In the next passage of study in Paul's letter to the believers at 1st century Colossae, we are introduced 
to a few of the false teachings of false teachers. There are many isms of this life, and we'll look at three. Legalism, mysticism, asceticism. False teachers allege that isms make us more spiritual. My question for you is, do they? We'll take a look in today's lesson. Well, let's hear some music. The Lord allows us to find the truth by taking a path through the isms of life. And as we are battered by deception in Satan's kingdom, we always have a comfortable place to rest, right in the mighty hand of God. So heed the advice suggested by Hillary Scott and the Scott family in their untitled hymn, When You Have Problems, Come to Jesus. Go in peace and laugh on glory side. 
Jesus is the multi-purpose one. We can go to him for a lot of things, can't we? Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for always being clear. You love us. You forgive us. You're here for us. You work things together for our good. You have nothing against us. You train us. You protect us. You provide for us. You are deeply interested in our well-being. You even allow tribulation to toughen us. You provide a guide, God the Holy Spirit, to lead us into all your truth. Show us the spiritual wisdom of the word you'll be implanting in us today. And make us aware of the things in our lives that this lesson will modify so that we can become the people you intend us to be. Exact reflections of you. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, beware of the ism life. Beware of the ism life. Well, recently a friend told me that people are like radio stations. They broadcast things from their mouths. She said some people are AM radio stations and some people are FM radio stations. She said, the AM radio station people are against me, AM. The FM station people are for me, FM. And I find her thoughts to be true. And as much as we hate to admit it, there are a lot more AM people, the against me people, than there are FM people, the for me people, in our lives. Worse, we listen to the AM people a lot more than we listen to the FM people. And that's kind of a shame. False teachers are AM people. They are against. They broadcast false teaching designed to hurt us, to confuse us, to create doubt in us that paralyzes our spiritual lives. Our FM people friends are for us. They are the ones who know who we are and who we are not, and they love us anyway. And they help us to navigate the next steps of life. The passage for today is Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23, and I would hope that you would know by now, after about 10 or 12 lessons into the letter to the Colossians, that this is a letter where the Apostle Paul is preparing the believers at first century Colossae for, their false, for, for the false teachers who, ined- who inevitably infiltrate a new church to stomp out the seeds of goodness that happen in a church. And they bring with them a series of against-me teachings, AM teachings, designed to shipwreck the faith of the people who are in the church. 
So let's listen to the passage beginning at Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Colossians 2.17, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Colossians 2.18, let no one keep on defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Colossians 2.19, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. Colossians 2.20 And if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, Colossians 2.22, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men, Colossians 2.23. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. But really, they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Well, let's study the passage verse by verse to see what the Lord wants us to learn today. There are people in our lives who give unsolicited advice about how we ought to handle life. A quick inspection of their lives almost always shows that they don't even take their own advice. The easy area to pick on is diet, and I I just... I just laugh hysterically listening to people talk about diet issues. And whenever people go on a diet, the first thing they say is, well, you know, you really got to cut your carbs dramatically. Well, you can do that, but carbs provide glucose, which provides the fuel for your brain so you can be alert. So any prolonged cutting of carbs, if you're not... Uh, planning to be in a, in a bodybuilding show really isn't all that supportive of you as a person. But the people who will give this advice are always people who are 50 pounds overweight. And they're talking about how cutting carbs is going to make a difference with that. Now, I personally may sound like a complete idiot in what I'm saying because I have absolutely <laughs> zero expertise in this area, but it just is funny to me based on the misinformation that I do have in my soul that people think that they can just cut carbs and that's going to make this huge difference in their health. Well, the teachers who were surrounding the little churches of Colossae and Laodicea and Aeropolis were coming up with religious ideas, warped theologies, and heresies that had nothing to do with getting to know the Lord or his thoughts. I really want you to hear that one. See, a lot of these false teachers are telling you all these things that you have to do. But none of that has to do with getting to know the Lord better or getting to know his thoughts. And believe me, 
if you want to know anybody's thoughts, and if you want to know anybody, you want to know the Lord and his thoughts. Because really, if you boil down to a selfish motive, why I want to teach the Word of God is because I want to know the person that I'm going to meet when I am no longer alive in this life. When I close my eyes in this life and open my life in the next, the person who's giving me the personal escort through my own death-shadowed valley, I want to know him. And I want to know how he thinks and how he is. And I don't want to be scared of him or intimidated by him. I just want to know who he is and what he thinks. Now, what religious teachers, false teachers, are saying always boils down to a couple of things. One thing is, if you don't do the extra things that we're suggesting, in addition to believing in Christ, you're not saved. So what false teachers are always doing is placing a big burden on your back that you have to carry in order to save yourself. Now, as Christians, we know we can't save ourselves. So what we ought to do is laugh at that, but what we don't, what we do instead is we listen to them and we start questioning ourselves, do I have to do that to be saved? And another thing that the religious claim is that if you are saved, and you don't keep on doing the extra things, you can lose your salvation. And so there's another thing that we do. We start biting our knuckles as Christians. Rather than laughing at that, as Christians, we start biting our knuckles and wondering, you know, can I really lose my salvation? And if I did, wouldn't that be awful? Wouldn't it be terrible to live in the lake of fire for all eternity? Because eternity is a really long time. Yeah, it would be awful. So what false teachers propose are lies, nothing but lies. And these false teachers offer religion, not a relationship with Christ. And that's what most people are attracted to. They're attracted to a religion, something that they can be staunch about, something that they can be devout toward. But do they really get to know a person? The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you really get to know who he is and how he is and what he thinks of them. It's a whole different matter. What is religion? Religion is the satanic discipline of deception focused on rituals, rules, and traditions. The things you can do and the things you can't do if you want to please God. And most of these things are not mentioned in the Bible. They are things that are not supernatural. They are things that are not focused on a relationship with Christ. They are things that neither save us nor preserve our salvation. Religious rituals do not impart life. I mean, if you don't believe me, just go to John chapter 3. What was Jesus saying to Nicodemus? Don't marvel... Nicodemus, that I said you have to be born again. What was Jesus talking about? He was talking to Nicodemus, a religious Pharisee, about spiritual life, which is the next logical step after spiritual death, the spiritual death that all of us experience at our physical birth. He wasn't talking to him 
about you need to go and go to church five times and you need to get down on your knees and pray and you need to make signs by hitting yourself on various parts of your body and you need to take some kind of a hemp and hit yourself and show your absolute contrition and your piety and how sincere you are and how much you really care about God. He didn't say any of that. Just talked about what imparts light. You have to be born again. So religious rituals don't impart life. They impart a burden. And here's what the Lord said to the religious Pharisees who opposed him in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. And if you've never studied Matthew chapter 23, it's one of the best chapters ever where Jesus is just ripping the religious Pharisees and the scribes and and putting a mirror right in their face about who they are. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. He said, Woe! to you, scribes and Pharisees. There is nothing worse that you could ever say to a human being than woe to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you people who are talking from behind a mask, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, to get one person to convert to your religion. And when he becomes a convert to your religion, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. That is as big a punch in the face as you will ever see. And it's so funny to me whenever Jesus is portrayed in movies or on television, he's always portrayed as this soft, meek, long-haired hippie with with blonde hair and blue eyes and gentle and there is nothing gentle about that chapter or that particular verse well minutes before spine surgery last monday i knew, monday i knew the outcome i would either wake up in the recovery room or i would wake up in heaven it was simple why because my relationship with the lord is secure and i knew that he was with me, and I knew that he would guide the medical team to get the result he wanted, whatever that happened to be. And I knew I had nothing to worry about. Also, I knew that praying to a fake saint, or to Jesus' mother, or smelling incense, or dousing myself with holy water, or fasting, or any other religious ritual would do nothing to give me confidence not chanting with my hands over my head, not speaking an unintelligible language and calling it tongues, not seeking a sign from an angel, not even meditating. None of these things would help at all. And I'm so glad that that's true because that has not been true for my whole life and I'm sure it has not been true for yours. And there are people who are Christians who engage in these things. And I think... When you start thinking about what is the, the letter to the Colossians saying to me in my life, what you have to be asking yourself is, if you're not dealing with this letter on, with the intellect, what it has to be asking you is, what false teaching from what false teachers have you imprinted into yourself so that you can run the life that you're running. Because I guarantee you that the lifestyle that you are running, the
the lifestyle that you have purchased is visible to everybody. Oh, well, I'm not really that good a speaker. Oh, well, I'm the type of person who does this, and I'm the type of person who does that. And all those little stories that you tell everybody from your hamster wheel are very apparent, and they are all things that came from false teachers with their false teaching. You did not come to earth with those stories in you, but you adopted stories that are not supportive of you doing anything that you want to do, almost as if you're scared to do the things that you really want to do. Now, what I did know is that none of those fake things would work, but I knew that Jesus would help me through the spine surgery because he is a person and he has all the power, divine omnipotence, and that he was going to bring divine omnipotence to work for me, one of his servants. And he's going to do the same thing for you if you're a believer in Christ, and not only in surgery, but in every single circumstance in your life. Well, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul instructs the believers concerning false teachers and their false teaching, and he speaks specifically in those two verses, to 16 and 17, he speaks specifically to legalism which we studied in the second lesson of the year. It says, uh, Colossians 2.16 says this, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. And I love the beginning of that verse. No one is to act as your judge. See, the Lord doesn't even act as your judge until the end of of your days. But how many of you are listening to what other people are saying about you and trying to live up to their standards that they're imposing on you. Oh, you ought to do this, and you ought to do that. You ought to do this, and you ought to do that. Parents are telling you, well, your spiritual life isn't good. Your spiritual life ought to be this way. Or your life isn't good. It ought to be this way. And, you know, what what do you say when those things happen? Do you say, mind your own business? Or do you say, oh man, well I better live up to the standard that this person's imposing on me. What do false teachers with their legalism have to offer? Well, what's the first part of legalism? Legal. What they have to offer you is laws. Here's what you should eat. Here's what you should drink. Here's what you should celebrate. Here's when the Sabbath is. Here are the things that have extra power, like the new moon. Here are the festivals you have to celebrate. That's what legalism has to offer. What is legalism? Legalism is adding to the perfection that is Christianity with an over-focus on the rules. It's turning Christianity into a perversion of self-righteous superiority and into a series of steps we could never follow successfully. So what people who, people who are legalistic do is they create a set of rules and then contend that if you follow the rules, you'll either earn your salvation or keep your salvation, even though they know that even they can't follow the rules. Legalism is self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is condescending. 
It's I'm up here and you're down there. And those who adopt legalism use it to delude themselves into thinking that they're better than you and they delude themselves into thinking that they're better than they are. But the Bible paints a different picture. And that's why it's so important to study the Word of God, because the Word of God tells you something else. And you need, when, when the Bible is telling you something else, other than the, those lies that the world is telling you, you need to do more than just breathe a sigh of relief and go, for that five minutes that you feel that way before you go back to believing what the liars are saying. What you need to do is completely change your mindset and start rejecting what the false teachers and their false teaching is saying. The Lord knows that you don't follow the rules. See, isn't it funny that we have a God who knows you better than you know yourself? He is omniscient. He knows all the knowable. He knows who you are. You can't hide from him. You can hide from people, but you can't hide anything from him, and especially not your thoughts, your perverted thoughts. You can't hide them from him. He knows who you are. He knows you don't follow the rules. So what does he say that it takes to be saved? He says, Acts 16, 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. And the tense in the Greek indicates that your salvation happens in a moment in time and the result is it stands finished forever. He knows that you need that because if he had to depend on you to be saved or if he had to depend on you to keep your salvation, he knows that you would be screwed. He already knows. But the false teachers come in and take advantage of you and start getting you to think like humans think rather than to think like God thinks. And the way God thinks is, look, I know you can't do it. I'm not going to make you do it. I'm going to do it for you. I remember when Zachary was uh, a kid, and he was the cutest kid on on the planet. I don't know what happened since then, but he was really cute as a kid. And, you know, every Sunday was the delight of my life, watching him walk to the end of the, the, the walkway to our house in what I call the dumpy walk. He had on his diaper, and he would do this little dumpy walk, and he still has the dumpy walk. It's just crazy. He has no idea that when he walks away from me, I watch him do the dumpy walk, and I have all these warm and cuddly feelings about what it was like to watch him every every Sunday when he was on the way to pick up the paper. But he would go down there and he would pick up the newspaper and the newspaper, the Sunday newspaper, was really thick and it was in plastic. And he was, uh, he was struggling so bad and I knew he couldn't carry it so I didn't just send him down there and then go sit down in my chair. I sent him down there and when he'd grab it, I'd go down there and help him back with it because I knew he couldn't do it. That's the way God is with us. You know, he knows that we can't carry the burdens of our lives, and so he's carrying them for us. And we like deluding ourselves into thinking we're carrying everything when we're not. He's doing everything for us. And and we spend so much of our time and so much of our energy striving when he's going to lob everything up at the volleyball net and let you spike it. 
And we don't even give him a chance because our faith, which was a gift, we don't invest our faith in him, we invest it in ourselves. So if you can do nothing to save yourself, and if God knows that you can do nothing to save yourself, does it make any sense at all that you would that God would think that you could do anything? <laughs> that God would think you could do anything to keep your salvation? Well, the Bible says no in John chapter 10, verse 28. It says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life, the resurrection life, to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He knows you can't do it. He knows you can't save yourself. He knows you can't do anything to keep your salvation, so he set the rules in your favor. The Lord gives us salvation the Lord preserves our salvation. And the false teachers will tell you, no, that's not it. No, it's not that easy. Maybe you just had a head belief and not a heart belief. If you keep sinning after salvation, there's something that's wrong with you. There's something went wrong with your salvation. And it's just stuff that is not true. But it's stuff that it's easy to believe. And it's stuff that we love to believe because of the thoughts that we have about ourselves. Now, what promises do false teachers make with their false instruction? If we fast, we'll be Christ-like. I was in a men's group, and that came up. And I was less than gracious in slapping that idea down, and right after that, the men's group broke up. Because they didn't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that they're never going to be Christ-like. Christ didn't sin. If you sin, you're not going to be Christ-like. Sorry. Now, the only way you are Christ-like Christ -like, was because of what Christ did for you. One of the things he did for you is he gave you his own righteousness at the moment of salvation. And that makes you Christ-like because you have his righteousness, but you sure didn't do anything to get it. The false teachers say if we avoid pork, we'll be, we'll be more spiritual. Sorry, I love ribs and I love bacon, so I am not spiritual. If you don't have a glass of wine and other people do, you're better than they are. Yeah, I don't think so. The Sabbath never changed to Sunday. It has to be celebrated on Saturday or you're displeasing God. There's a whole religion wrapped around that. The Seventh-day Adventists. And what are the two things? The Adventist part is Christ will come again. True story. Advent, that means the coming in Latin. Christ will come again, yes. And the seventh day, the seventh day is Saturday, so the Sabbath never changed. Their whole religion is based on that. And I studied with them. They were the group that helped me uh, shed the light on the falseness of Roman Catholicism. But then what, what you find is they're just as false. They are the pot calling the kettle black. And they, they believe all these whack job things, but one of the things you know right away is they take you right into the Old Testament. Well, we're church-age believers. That is not the instruction set for church-age believers. The Old Testament is the instruction set for the Jews of the Old Testament. Since the cross, everything has changed. So, there is a Lunar New Year. 
the, we're on the solar new year that begins January 1st and ends December 31st, but there's a lunar new year. And last month, I have hundreds and hundreds of friends all throughout Asia who celebrated the year 4717, the year of the rat. As for festivals, how about Easter? Have you ever noticed that there is always a festival in Satan's kingdom to take the focus off a real spiritual event? Three weeks from today, many people around the world will celebrate Easter, and they have no idea what it is they're celebrating. Christians celebrate the most divine day in or the the most important day in divine history three weeks from today, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead. Satan, the enemy of God, is always ready with a counterfeit. Well, his counterfeit is Easter. So, here are the things of the counterfeit. It's Easter instead of Resurrection Day. It's the goddess Easter versus the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the bunny versus the cross. It's fertility orgies versus spirituality. In the United States, Easter is soldered into our culture. It's cute to send our kids on Easter egg hunts, to dress them up in multicolored outfits, and to go on our semi-annual dress-up pilgrimage to church. But why don't we ever stop to figure out why we celebrate these festivals? Easter, E-O-S-T-R-E, is depicted by scholars as a fertility goddess. Celebrating her was a month-long festival of orgies. Now, in case you don't know what orgies are, that's a lot of people in a room naked having sex with each other. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ had no chance against these kinds of festivals. You know, the one thing that's always funny to me is that Christians are talking about how the world is going to hell in a handbasket and how bad things are today. You have no idea how bad things have been over the course of time unless you study cultures. And if you want to study two of the most perverted cultures in the history of mankind, the Roman culture, the Greek culture, pederasty, sodomy, anything perverted, homosexuality, you think that today we've got this big problem? (laughs) This problem started a long time ago, and the stuff that we're going through today is mild in comparison. So, Christmas was similar. You know, Satan has a Christmas counterfeit. It's Santa Claus versus the Lord Jesus Christ, and I I find it interesting that Santa is, uh, the, the same words in Santa are the words in Satan, and the Christmas tree versus the cross. Okay, so I know I'm bumming some of you out because you love the little, you know, those little marshmallow, gross little marshmallow things that you get with all the sprinkles on them and the little black eyeballs and that you stuff in your mouth and the Reese, Reese cups and the egg shape, which I love. I know I'm bumming you out because you think I'm saying you shouldn't have any of that. And I know you're bumming because you're mooning and pining and sighing, no pun intended, for your Christmas tree coming up. So is there anything wrong with celebrating these pagan holidays? 
There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The Apostle Paul says no in 1 Corinthians. And, you know, in 1 Corinthians, he was talking about meat sacrificed to idols. He said, since there are no idols, there's nothing wrong with eating meat that's sacrificed to idols. So don't worry about it. And since there's no Easter bunny and there's no Santa Claus, they don't really exist. It's not a problem to celebrate, except when the celebration causes a weaker brother in Christ to stumble. When your celebrations cause a weaker brother in Christ to stumble, don't do it. If you're around a person who's a recovering alcoholic, it's not so smart to drink. Now, they'll tell you, recovering alcoholics will tell you, no, it's okay, it's okay. But it's really not. So, these celebrations are no problem, so you can keep doing what you're doing. But who are the weaker brothers? The weaker brothers are our children. And we ingrain these celebrations into our children. Parents lie to their children about the existence of the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus, and they think it has no effect on their credibility with their children. Well, they find out that it has a lot of effect on their credibility when the kids become teenagers. Again, a look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the focus on legalism. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Colossians 2.17, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So if you want to have a high fructose corn syrup Slurpee, 32 ounces, and you want to do that three times a day, and you think that that does something wonderful for your body, by all means do it, do it. God is not looking at you and saying, oh, I'm pretty sure you're going to go to hell if you have one more sip of high fructose corn syrup. That's not how it works. There's the shadow of a thing, and then there's the substance of a thing. Christ is the substance. In the Old Testament, many rituals prepared people for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, Jewish people celebrate Passover to commemorate their freedom from slavery in Egypt and a future deliverance and redemption for all who believe, as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did, who believed in Yahweh for salvation. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 says, Then Abraham believed in the Lord, Yahweh, and the Lord, Yahweh, credited Abram's faith to him as righteousness, which is the admission ticket to heaven. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not only racial Jews. They were spiritual Jews as well because they believed in Yahweh. And the rituals of Judaism were shadows of the substance to come. The Christ, the Jewish Messiah, was to come. And when he did... The ritual as a training aid was no longer necessary. False teachers are more concerned with shadow than substance. Now, many people ask why I make it a point to mention that Jesus, the Christ, is the Jewish Messiah. It's to honor the Jewish businessmen who invested in the black community when I was young. They let my mom have groceries and supplies on credit until she got paid, and they didn't have to do that. 
they certainly didn't have to come and establish their business in a black neighborhood. I have tons of friends who are Jewish, most of whom do not recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And what I hope is that they hear a message, investigate the truth, and become saved as a result of my mentioning it, because you can be Jewish and Christian as well. When we return from the break, we'll take a look at two other isms highlighted in this passage, mysticism and asceticism. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil start talking to me, saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody, all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Beware of the Ism Life. Beware of the Ism Life. Well, when God blesses us financially, He wants us to raise our standard of giving, not our standard of living. Remember, God is the one who seeks and saves the lost. The lost don't seek Him. Romans chapter 3, verse 11 says this, There is no creature who understands God or any divine thing. There is no creature who seeks a relationship with God. In Luke chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says, What man among you, if he has lost a hundred sheep, or if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine sheep in the open pasture and go after the one sheep which is lost until he finds it? The Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd. As his creatures, we are sheep. What does the shepherd do for the sheep who are not seeking a relationship with him? He goes after them. Your generosity creates the opportunity for Bra Ministries to provide the gift of the gospel message to the unbelievers God brings to this ministry. Deacon Diddy Goodall returns from vacation next week, so allow me to thank you for your generosity on his behalf as I collect the offering. Today's Bible lesson, beware of the ism life. Beware of the ism life. There are many places in the Bible where the Lord makes it clear that legalism isn't Christianity. In fact, the Lord created the Mosaic Law, so it is spiritual, 
as Paul says in Romans chapter 7. But the reason the law was created makes it clear that law is not life-giving. Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, plus Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, a continuous flow, not hindered right now by the chapter break, says this, the law came in alongside of sin so that the transgression, the law-breaking, would increase. The law was actually given by God because he knew that it would cause the law-breaking to increase. But where sin, law-breaking, increased, God's grace abounded all the more. Romans 5.21 Make rules more sin. It's that simple. God created the law to show sinners they couldn't keep the law. Thus, they needed a Savior. Romans 5.21 The Lord provided grace abundantly in the presence of sin, so that as sin reigned as king, for those of us in union with Adam, and that's everyone at physical birth, even so, by means of the Lord's grace, we believers in Christ would reign as kings through righteousness, being in union with Christ, to eternal life, the resurrection life, through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. So what shall we believers in Christ say then? Are, do we, conti- are we to continue in sins so that the Lord's grace may increase? Romans 6, 2. May it never be. Absolutely not. Ook! How shall believers in Christ, such ones as we, children of a king, who died to sin as an established fact at the moment of our salvation, still live in sin as if sin is still our master. See, we wouldn't. And so the Lord had a specific reason why he introduced the law. And he knew that we would break it. He was not surprised by that at all. And what he did is provide his grace solution to us breaking the law. He's amazing. So as Christians, we don't listen to false teachers and their legalism. We don't adopt a non-biblical code of conduct and think that it's making us spiritual somehow. With no Bible chapter, no Bible verse as backup. So that we feel superior over people who don't adhere to the code of conduct that we suggest. Christianity is too free to be legislated. And the disciplines that I've been involved in as a Christian, Roman Catholicism, systematic theology, 50 years of involvement in that mess, all resulted in the same thing. A bunch of man-made rules and man-made traditions designed to ruin my spiritual life and to ruin my mentality and to give me no comfort and no peace. No thank you. Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 introduce the false teaching called mysticism. And here's what Colossians 2, 18 says, Let no one keep on defrauding you of your prize by having you delight in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause, arrogance, by his fleshly mind. 
Colossians 2.19, and not holding fast to the head, that's Jesus Christ, he is the head, from whom the entire body, the church-age believers, being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. There's the comfort. All growth comes from God. Well, what is mysticism? Mysticism is a belief that union with or absorption into a deity or into the absolute or into the spiritual apprehension of knowledge inaccessible to the intellect may be attained through contemplation and self-surrender. Self-delusion or dreamy confusion of thought, especially when based on the assumption of occult qualities or mysterious agencies. There are a lot of people who think yoga is spiritual. It is not. Yoga is exercise. It is not spiritual. And I may feel spiritual, and people may want to turn it into a spiritual practice because people love turning everything into a religion, but there's nothing spiritual about it. So what are some of the examples of mysticism in today's world? Mysticism introduces ecstatics and emotion into spirituality. It contends that if we feel more, then we are more spiritual. And I was chuckling when I wrote this because I remember we had a guest one time and she had been from a Pentecostal background. And I know that it, she, she worked up a lot of courage. And when she came to the lesson... She ran around the church through the aisles with her hands above her head. And I knew that that took her a lot of courage, but it really just made her look a little goofy. And that's not exactly what, there's nothing about (laughs) jogging around a church that is spiritual. It'll just get you tired, really. So have you ever heard of faith healing? Have you ever seen these TV shows where People come in wheelchairs, and, and the person hits them in the head, and be healed. And then they get up and walk away. There's mysticism involved in this. Have you ever heard of Pentecostalism, or the tongues movement, where there is a perversion of God the Holy Spirit? There is mysticism involved. Have you ever heard of the occult, with its magic and spirits and unusual phenomena, the Ouija board? There's mysticism involved. Have you ever heard one, someone say, there was a vision revealed to me by an angel? I've had a lot of friends say that. And don't get me wrong, there are these mental experiences that we create where we can do things like that. I had a situation where a niece of mine died at 19 years old, and I was driving along in Gilbert, and it was near uh, sundown, and I looked up into the sky, and there was a really beautiful configuration of clouds, and I heard her voice in my ear, goodbye, Uncle Rory, and later that night, I found out she died. Now, that was something that I made up in my head. That, was not, that is not the way God communicates to us today, but I could have easily turned that into a vision story and then been telling people that for the rest of my life. This is all mysticism stuff. Horoscopes, psychics, witchcraft. Ever heard of Wicca? Look it up on YouTube. You work with people who are part of this organization, and they may not be bragging about it, 
But there are people who are in your periphery, in your neighborhood, that engage in practices, Satan worship, that would shock you if you actually knew. Simply stated, mysticism is an attempt to be spiritual through experiences without Jesus, without the gospel message, and without the word of God. And those who are involved in mysticism, they lose their connection to God. I heard one person say, I'm not interested in the narrow Christian view that there's only one way to God, that that being Jesus. Okay, well, that's your right. Don't be interested in a discipline that has that narrow a view. I am absolutely interested in a discipline that has that narrow a view and that much focus. So people involved in mysticism remind me of Ichabod Crane, the headless horseman of Halloween fame, because they are a body that has no connection to the head, and the head is Christ. Those in, involved in mysticism engage in channeling, in emptying themselves of thoughts and emotions to get in touch with the universe. The Bible never encourages this kind of activity. In fact, it tells us the opposite. It tells us to be filled up to all the fullness of God. I've heard numerous stories of contact with spirit beings. In the Roman Catholic Church, its members are encouraged to pray to the Mother of God, Mary, to angels, to patron saints, and to avoid going directly to God for help. All of these fuller, manufactured spiritual experiences make me better than anyone who has not had these experiences. That's what's behind this ism, mysticism. As Christians, all we have is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the unconditional love of God, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, eternal life, the indwelling of the entire triune Godhead. That's all we have. We don't have much to brag about. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23 highlight the final ism of the passage, asceticism. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. If you believe in Christ, if you believers in Christ have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, and of course you have, it's a first class condition if, from the moment of salvation, why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Colossians 2.23, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement, and severe treatment of the body, but they are of absolutely no value against fleshly indulgence. Well, what is asceticism? It is the contention that we become more spiritual through self-denial of any kind. How about married couples who think sex is dirty, and that abstaining from sex is spiritual. And that's what we're inculcated to believe in this world. We are, 
we are programmed to believe that sex is dirty and nasty and engaging in it is horrible and it's not spiritual. Who created sex? God created sex. Who gave us the urges that we have sexually, the attraction to each other that we have sexually? God gave that to us. So what happens is these false teachers come in with their false teaching and teach us the opposite, that we should be abstaining from sex when we're married. No wonder the divorce rate is so high. Check out 1 Corinthians chapter 7 to see how spiritual people handle sex, this amazing gift from our Almighty God. Other forms of asceticism, fasting, no Christmas trees, no celebration of birthdays, no blood transfusions, no swimming with members of the opposite sex, no wearing pants to church for women. We've got a couple women here who are just not spiritual at all. They wear pants to church every week. No Easter bunnies, no fun, no celebrations of any kind, severe self-discipline, avoidance of pleasure. The body is a problem, so starve the body. Feed the spirit. Nonsense. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5, to 5, the Apostle Paul warns his protege Timothy and all pastors about this disease called asceticism. Here's what he says. He says, God the Holy Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, that, that's a Greek idiom for in every generation, some believers in Christ will fall away from the faith. See, even believers in Christ are susceptible to this nonsense. They become Christians. They have everything. Christianity is perfect. It's filled up to all the fullness of God. There is nothing needed. There's no supplements needed. But they will fall away from the faith, believing this crap, every generation, paying attention to deceitful spirits and to the doctrines of demons, false teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, By means of the hypocrisy of liars, false teachers, seared in their own conscience with lies, as if they were seared with a branding iron. They have these thoughts in them, and they're seared in place, and they don't come out. 1 Timothy 4, 3, Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. 1 Timothy 4.4 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. 1 Timothy 4.5 For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Satan is a joy killer. His suggestions look good on the outside, but mean nothing on the inside. These things especially do not control the flesh, Satan's inside agent designed to destroy your spiritual life and your whole life, really. So let's close by looking at the Wiest translation. Kenneth Wiest, who is an excellent translator of biblical thought, let's close by looking at his translation of the passage, Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 to 23. He says this, Stop, therefore, allowing anyone to be sitting in judgment upon you in eating or drinking or in the matter of a feast day or a new moon 
or a Sabbath day. Colossians 2.17. All of which things are a shadow of those things about to come. But the body belongs to Christ. Colossians 2.18. Let no one act as a, let no one as a judge declare you unworthy of a reward, taking delight in a self-imposed humility, a fake humility, and worship of the angels, scrutinizing minutely the things he has seen, being futilely puffed up by the mind of the flesh. That's the, a powerful thing, that this puffed-up arrogance that we display as false teachers with false teaching comes from the flesh inside of us. Now, God could have removed the flesh at the moment of salvation. If he didn't want us to sin, if he wanted us not to sin or to have any chance not to sin, he could have just taken the flesh out. And he didn't. So he must evidently be comfortable with who we are after salvation. Colossians 2.19 And not holding fast to the head, out of whom all the body through the instrumentality of the joints and ligaments, being constantly supplied with nourishment and being constantly compacted together, increases with the increase wrought by God. Colossians 2.20 In view of the fact that you died with Christ from the rudimentary things of the world, why? As if living in the world, as if you are a part of the world, which you are not. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Why? Are you subjecting yourselves to ordinances such as do not begin to touch, neither begin to taste, nor begin to handle, Colossians 2.22, all of which things are destined for corruption in their consumption, ordinances which are according to the precepts and teachings of men. Stop listening to men. Listen to God. The only reason you would want to listen to me as a teacher is I'm telling you what God is saying in his word. I'm not telling you my opinion. Colossians 2.23, all of which things as a class have a reputation for wisdom in self-made, self-imposed worship and an affected hypocritical humility and unsparing and severe treatment of the body, ordinances which are not of any value as a remedy against the indulgence of the flesh. The issue with isms is simple. You can choose freedom or you can choose slavery to rules, rituals, and regulations. So why do so many people choose the isms? False teachers are persuasive. Lies are persuasive. People always seem ready to accept cheap substitutes rather than the real thing. As for me, give me Christ and his word. As for false teachers with false teaching, they should take a long walk on a short pier. Being burdened with their slavery, with absolutely no benefit in return, dawned on me after years of giving myself to this nonsense. I hope you'll examine your life and rid yourself of any of these things you've allowed yourself to become enslaved to.
The closing moments of today's lessons are dedicated to anyone anywhere who is undecided or confused about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. The truth, most of us take the easy way out in relationships. We like the people who like us, and we dislike the people who don't. That's the human approach. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ loves each of his creatures unconditionally, whether we like him or not, whether we make time for him or not, whether we worship him or not. That's supernatural, and it's great news for atheists. Atheism, another one of those isms, is painful to listen to. Atheists say, there is no God, or they say, God doesn't exist. Well, the Bible has a different view. Even though many atheists think the Bible is just a book with a bunch of symbolic stories, the Apostle John makes the purpose of the Bible clear in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these things in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in Him, you may have the resurrection life, eternal life, in His name. Philosopher Blaise Pascal, in what is known as Pascal's Wager, says human beings bet with their lives that God either exists or He does not. Pascal is right. So if you're an atheist, you would do well to at least consider what the Bible has to say. The Bible is the guide that helps us to know God and His thoughts. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. And since atheists are created creatures, human beings, they would do well to be curious about exactly what the Bible is proposing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says this, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that is every human who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. That's horrible news for an atheist. The good news is that the Lord has a salvation plan for all his creatures that reflects an interesting attitude even to those who think there is no God. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation as some accuse him of, Instead, he is patient towards you unbelievers, including atheists, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that God exists, that he lives in heaven, and that you can secure your place in heaven right this minute. If you're an atheist and you think Pascal was right, then you bet with your life that God either exists or he does not. Then there's no penalty for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're willing to count on him for your salvation, 
And that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is an atheist's acknowledgement that if there is a God, it might be smart to have faith in him. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God. And I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. No creature can do a thing to get to heaven on his own. Romans chapter 11 verse 6 says this. If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer based on works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And what will likely be considered one of the most gracious acts in divine history, the Lord created a place to live for all those who reject a relationship with him. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says this, and the devil who deceived the whole world, especially atheists and unbelievers, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Your eternal home does not have to be the lake of fire. You can choose a different fate. So heed the warning and accept the invitation of John chapter 3, verse 36, which says this, He who believes in God the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life, eternal life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. The Apostle Paul describes the God who saves you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, which says this, I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. Remember the words of the Old Testament prophet Joel then, in Acts chapter 2, verse 21. It shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. If you're an atheist, keep on investigating whether God exists. If you find there is a God, there's plenty of room for you in heaven where God lives. Please come to join us. One of the greatest gifts of the Lord that he gives to his creatures is unconditional love. The Lord loves us no matter what. And when you direct his gift of unconditional love toward others, it's even better. But it's best when you choose to direct the Lord's unconditional love toward yourself. June Murphy discovered this and shares it with us in her song, I Am Beautiful. Never be a 
song is beautiful. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your guidance in the lesson today that puts an instant alert system in our souls to make us spiritually aware of the deception of false teachers. Thank you for the truth, the antidote for their lies. Thank you for giving us a way to share your message of truth with others. As we prepare for another week in Satan's kingdom, help us to empathize with the plight of those who choose not to investigate the real truth about the Lord. Give us courage to approach them. Help us direct them to accurate teaching, which gives them a supernatural, eternal alternative to the despair of another destructive ism, atheism. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor. Pastor at BaraMinistries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.